Welcome to Fit Body Happy Joints. My name is Dr. Shannon Ritchie. I'm a physical therapist. I'm the owner of Evolo Fitness. And my goal of this podcast is to give you information on how to make your fitness routine be effective, work for your body, be sustainable, and with the least cost to your joints and overall system. And today's episode is no exception. We're going to get into that. But before we do, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, um, if you could subscribe and leave a review, that would be amazing. If you're watching on YouTube now, you can um, subscribe to our page. We try to release um, most of our podcasts on YouTube as well. It makes a huge difference your rating and reviews. So thank you in advance for that. And then also there's eight free classes in, if you're um, listening, there's eight free classes in the show notes and then eight free classes in the description of the YouTube link if you're watching on YouTube. So if you want to try our method, you can take those classes over and over and they continue to be effective. So click there and um, get those for yourself. So let's get into today's episode. My very first episode was titled more is not better. I've been doing this podcast for over two years and that was my very first episode because I was really intentional about which episode I wanted to put first. And I think that that's a common thread that I've had throughout these last two plus years. You know, I've tweaked some things, I've changed things here and there, but one thing really has stayed true. And it's that my mission is to convince people to work out smarter, not harder, and that more is not necessarily better. You can see amazing results by doing less. You can feel better. You can enjoy your workouts more. You can get more time back in your life. And again, it's just all about how to work smarter. And one of the things that we do in Evlo that I think we're really good at is exercise selection. We're very intentional about exercise selection. And today I'm going to give you some insight into kind of our thought process on how we are selecting exercises that ultimately are producing the best value for you with the least cost. But I think that one thing stays really true and it's all about changing this mindset. Instead of asking, how hard can I work? Ask, how can I get the most benefit with the least cost? And that cost can be your joint strain, your mental and emotional strain, the cost of your time, the cost of your energy. You can see results from spending a long time in the gym and kind of feeling like you're falling apart and doing these traditional lifts and exercises and really trying to burn as many calories as possible. You can see results from that. You can see results from a variety of different workouts that potentially, you know, beat your body up and leave you feeling exhausted for the rest of your day. But I think the question we have to ask ourselves is, are we really optimizing our time or could we be wasting energy on things that aren't moving the needle like they could? Could we be doing things in a different way that cost us less physically, emotionally, time-wise, but benefit us more? I like to use the analogy of going on a road trip. The ultimate goal of this road trip is to get to the destination, but you have different choices on how you could get there. You could either, you know, maybe let's say you're driving, you could take car A or car B and each car will get you to that final destination. Sure. But you will have drastically different experiences along the way. So let's go through this. So car A maybe is an old car. It gets horrible gas mileage. And it may get you to that destination, but it breaks down a few times along the way. Maybe the AC isn't working. So you're super uncomfortable and sweaty and hot. Um, maybe it rides bumpy. So like your back kind of hurts when you finally arrive and maybe you spend a ton of 
money on gas because it doesn't get great gas mileage. And that cost, so it finally gets you there, but the cost, both from a money standpoint, from a time standpoint, from an energy, from a comfort standpoint is high. It gets you there, but not without significant pain and struggle. Or we can get to that same destination using a different car, car B. Car B is a new fuel efficient, fully equipped, spacious car. You only have to fill up gas once. The AC works beautifully. It's got a nice stereo. So the ride is really pleasant. It rides really smooth and the seats are comfortable. So you get to your destination in less time with less discomfort, much more pleasant experience. Again, both cars will get you to that final destination, but car B is significantly more comfortable, takes less time and costs less in gas. And this is what you can do in your workouts, right? If your ultimate destination is to be strong and fit and healthy, let's choose the workout that's going to get you to that destination with the least cost. Like I said, there's a variety of different ways to get you fit, but can we choose the path that is most likely to get you fit with the least cost to your body. So let's go over some ways to do that. And today we're going to focus mostly on, um, exercise selection. So there's a few things that are important with exercise selection. And the reason that we emphasize this so much in our classes is because exercise selection is really crucial to the process of creating a fit body with less cost. And not every exercise is created equal. And the physics of an exercise can prove this, right? You can actually do the math. You can kind of map out the biomechanics to understand like, okay, how are we loading these tissues? Which tissues are we loading? Are we loading them with, um, less intensity or more intensity? Are we loading them with more efficiency or less efficiency? Certain exercises will physically load the targeted tissues more than others and in the right places. So that's what we want to do, right? We want to load tissues, muscles that we're trying to change and adapt with enough intensity that will stimulate change. And we want to decrease the amount of load and stress that we're putting through other peripheral areas that we're not trying to stress. So let's go over these three principles that are important with exercise selection, because if you are filling your workout with exercises that kind of check these three boxes, you will see amazing results from your workouts with least cost. You, um, you will have to work out shorter amounts of time, you will feel better, um, and you'll see higher rewards. So the first is opposite position loading. And I'm going to go over all three of these in detail, but I'll quickly just kind of summarize each. The first is opposite position loading. This means that the direction of resistance is directly opposite the pull of a muscle. And we'll go over that with examples. Number two is that the exercise matches the resistance curve of the muscle. And then lastly, is that you're applying appropriate load to the targeted tissue or muscle. So choosing exercises that optimize these three things will lead you to use your energy in the most efficient ways that build muscle without wasting energy, without overstressing your system or costing your joint health. So let's go over the first one, which is opposite position loading. A muscle is most effectively loaded when the resistance is directly opposite the pull of that muscle. So I'll go over two examples here. One is more simple and one is more complex. And I think using examples really is the best way to describe this phenomenon, this opposite position loading. So let's go over a bicep curl. Everyone can feel that their bicep muscle is the working muscle in something like a standing bicep curl. You're standing, you're bending your elbows, you're drawing your arm towards your shoulder or your hand towards your shoulder. 
and the bicep has to flex and contract to complete the movement. If you do enough reps with enough resistance, your bicep will be fatigued and tired. Now, if we do that same motion, that exact same motion, bending the elbow, but we tip you on your side. So now you're in a sideline position and you're doing, you're mimicking a bicep curl arm is by your side. You're flexing your elbow. You're bringing your hand towards the front of your shoulder. You will notice if you're holding a weight, the bicep is no longer the working muscle, right? It feels like maybe it's your shoulder or your rotator cuff, or maybe even like it feels kind of stressful in your elbow. You're not really sure, but it's definitely not your bicep. That's that's working, even though your bicep has to flex somewhat to move your elbow, to bend your elbow, but the load that you're using, the weight that you're holding is not actually targeting the bicep. And this is because of opposite position loading. The resistance is no longer perpendicular to the bicep. It's perpendicular to the shoulder rotators. So what's happening is in the bicep curl where you're standing, this, the reason the bicep is loaded is because the resistance is more or less um, perpendicular to the lever that moves the bicep, the forearm. When you tip that exercise on its side, you're no longer opposite position loading the bicep, you're loading the shoulders. So this is seems like a, like a duh, like obviously, but it starts to get more complicated when you have more joints moving and um, when you're doing something a little bit more complex or a compound movement. So let's go over an example of that. Let's go over the upper back muscles. Many people will do a bent over barbell row to target the lats and upper back muscles. And this is a perfect example of how this exercise is suboptimal because of opposite position loading. Um, this exercise does the back muscles do have to work and move a little bit, but they aren't being loaded as much as they could with the barbell that you're holding. Because if you look at the lats, the lats are kind of a diagonal muscle and it's helpful sometimes to like Google a picture of lats. Um, for those of you that aren't super familiar with anatomy, but the lats are a diagonal muscle. They insert on the arm and then they travel along the side of the body and insert on the spine and a little bit on the pelvis. So the motion that will target the lats the most is when you, your arm is in a Y and you're pulling your elbow towards your spine right? So you're shortening the origin, which is on the arm towards the insertion, which is on the spine. Think of something like a lat pull down, right? Your arms start in a wide position and they pull inwards towards your body, but a bent over row pulls the elbow straight back. And the direction of resistance isn't, isn't coming from an angle, right? It's coming from forward and backwards. So the muscle that is directly opposite of this force, this forward and backwards pulling like in a barbell bent over row is the posterior deltoid, not the middle back or the lats, because to target the middle back or the lats, you have to have the resistance coming kind of from the side. So although the lats may get some load and they do have to contract to complete this movement, it isn't optimal if your goal is to target and grow the lats in the most effective ways with the least cost. And in fact, the muscle that's probably loaded the most is the low back because the low back has to remain rigid and isometrically contracted in order to keep you from falling forward. So you might be getting the most load to your low back unwillingly, even though you're trying to target something like your lats or your middle back. Um, instead of doing something like a bent over row, I recommend either a lat pull down machine, um, or a kickstand row. So if you've never, if you don't know what I'm talking about with the kickstand row, I show these on my Instagram a lot, go to my Instagram, Dr. Shannon DPT and check these out. But 
these two exercises create more of a diagonal line of force. And that means that the muscle, the lats, the upper back will be opposite position loaded, and you'll be directing your energy more efficiently since it loads the muscle more accurately. The, another reason that a bent over row is suboptimal for muscle growth is because it's late phase loaded, which I'll, I'll talk about here in a moment, but I know that was a lot. I know that was a lot of anatomy and it does take understanding anatomy. It does under, take understanding pination angle and how the muscles are angled and which direction they pull in order to load muscles the most. This is why, you know, I always talk about my frustration with how dysregulated the fitness industry is. You have people that look amazing, but, um, they're, they're leading, you know, thousands of people, some people with these massive Instagram follow followings that are doing these exercises that might work for them because they could probably look at a weight and, and grow muscles because, because of their genetics, but they don't even understand this physics principle of opposite position loading. And so I know, like I said, I know that was a lot of anatomy and kind of a lot of depth. Um, but if you don't know how to load the muscles in their opposite position, first off, if you're an Evelyn member, you don't have to worry about this. Know that we are always trying to choose exercises that are doing this principle. But even if you aren't an Evelyn member, you can kind of feel this for yourself. So when you're doing an exercise, does it feel like a lot of other muscles are working instead of the muscle that you're targeting? Sometimes when you're doing an arm exercise or a leg exercise, maybe it's my low back that's feeling this even more than my glutes. Maybe this is my neck that's feeling this more than my shoulders or my upper back. It kind of feels like, I don't really know. I can't really tell what I'm working here. And you almost feel like kind of unsatisfied after. And this is common for a bent over row to feel like, what am I working here? Like, I know this exercise is hard, but I'm not really sure which muscles I'm working. Yes. You can feel your muscles squeeze, but the load might not be optimally or the, the resistance that you're holding might not be optimally loading your muscles. Um, and again, there's just generally mechanical reasons why something doesn't feel right for the most part. So if you are doing an exercise and you're like, I just don't know what this is supposed to be working. Odds are that there's a good mechanical reason for that. And my recommendation would be to trade it out with a different exercise. We've been taught to believe like, if you don't feel something, oh, it's just your form. And yes, I do think that this is important. And sometimes this is what's happening is just, you know, your limbs aren't oriented in the right way to bias a certain muscle. So sometimes that is happening, but I'd say that more often than not, when you're taking like a generalized fitness class or doing like a generalized fitness routine, oftentimes it's your exercise selection, not necessarily your form. Okay. So that is principle. Number one is that in order to make an exercise high bang for your buck and low physical cost is to opposite position load or have the resistance coming from the right angle. And the second consideration, and by the way, by no means is this an exhaustive list of physics principles, but they're two important ones. The second consideration is the resistance curve of the exercise. And again, this is something that I've touched on in several of my podcasts, but I know that it can be a little hard to understand. And so I like to talk about it multiple times in different ways. A resistance curve is where in an exercise's range of motion, the resistance is heavier or lighter. So we'll come back to these two examples that we use with opposite position loading. So either a bicep curl or a bent over row. So in a standing bicep curl, the exercise feels the hardest right in the middle when your elbow is bent to 90 degrees. And before it gets to 90 degrees, like in the bottom half, it's a little easier. And then in the top half, it's also a little easier. So in other words, 
it's harder right in the middle. Even though the weight of that dumbbell is not changing, let's say you're curling 15 pounds the entire time, the weight isn't changing, but the resistance doesn't feel equal throughout the entire range of motion. This is because the magnification to the muscle increases as the weight moves further away from the moving joint. This is called a moment arm, right? So the further away a weight is from the moving joint, the more magnification to the muscle. So if you were to look at a standing bicep curl from the side, you would see that the weight is furthest from the elbow when your arm is at 90 degrees. Like if you were to draw a straight line through your dumbbell that goes vertically straight up and down at any point throughout that range of motion, you'll see that the furthest distance from that straight line to the elbow, if you were to draw a perpendicular line from that straight line to your elbow, the furthest distance away is when the elbow is at 90 degrees. So don't get too caught up in those angles and um, the moment arms, but just understanding that resistance, if you're using a dumbbell is not equal throughout the range of motion. And sometimes the magnification to the muscle is more, and sometimes it's less depending on where you are in that range of motion. By understanding that there's this resistance curve, that exercises often are not just equal resistance throughout the entire range of motion. We can actually use this to our advantage to choose an exercise that is both more effective and more comfortable. Again, goes back to the idea that our workouts can be higher bang for our buck with less physical cost. So we can match the idea that there's variable resistance throughout a range of motion with your anatomy so that there's the most resistance when the muscle is the strongest and the least resistance when the muscle is its weakest, because it turns out that muscles have variable strength throughout their range of motion. So when they're longer, when muscles are longer, they're generally stronger. And as they shorten, they lose strength because the actin and myosin filaments within the muscle kind of slide one uh, uh, along one another and they start to lose torque. So as muscles shorten, they lose the ability to create uh, or to resist load. And I always like to use the example of a slingshot, right? If you pull back a slingshot really, really far, it's going to launch a lot further versus if you just pull it back a little bit, it won't launch as far. So muscles are kind of the same way. When they're loaded from a really lengthened position, they're generally stronger. So for most muscles, and there are some exceptions, we want the resistance to be more when the muscle is longer or in its middle range of motion. And we want the exercise to get easier as the muscle shortens and gets weaker. This is how we can match our exercise selection to our anatomy. There's also studies that show that hypertrophy or muscle growth is best achieved when muscles are loaded in more of a lengthened state. So this is why we want to focus on early phase loading. So again, early phase loading is when the most resistance is when the muscle is longer and the resistance diminishes as the muscle gets shorter. So examples of early phase loaded exercises are ones that we you'll often see in EVLO. So step-ups, side-lying shoulder abductions, chest presses, skull crushers, and ball crunches. And there's many more, but those are just a few examples. And you can kind of feel these for yourself. So these exercises feel the most challenging when the muscle is the longest. In a step-up, the hardest part of the movement is at the bottom, right? When your hip is fully flexed. And as you complete the movement, as you stand all the way up, the moment arm to the hip is shortening. And so the exercise gets easier. This happens to match the strength curve of that glute, right? The glute is fully lengthened when your hip is flexed, when you're at the bottom of the movement about to stand up 
And that's when the resistance is the hardest. It matches the resistance matches how the muscle pulls as your hip straightens and the glute shortens, the resistance get, gets progressively lighter and lighter. So this is an example of an early phase loaded exercise and one that will be very effective at building muscle in the glutes. And it'll probably be a little bit more comfortable as well, right? And there are some muscles that we choose to middle phase load instead of early phase load. I'm not going to get into that too much today, um, but a couple of exercise, a couple of muscles that we choose to middle phase load just because they're more prone to rupture are the biceps and the hamstrings. So again, a biceps, like a standing bicep curl and hamstrings, we do kneeling hamstring curls. Um, if you're an Evelyn member, you know what that, where, what that looks like, but those are two exercises that we like to middle phase load instead of early phase load, since they're a little bit more prone to rupture. All right. So that's early and middle phase loading and why we choose early and middle phase loaded exercises and why they're so effective for muscle growth. And they happen to be more comfortable on your joints because they match the pull of that muscle. You'll find you have to compensate a lot less when you're choosing those early phase loaded exercises. Now let's go back to the bent over row example. I mentioned how that is a late phase loaded exercise, and it mostly targets those posterior deltoids, the backside of the shoulder. And it also late phase loads, any back muscles that are uh, peripherally engaged. So the resistance, when you start that movement, the resistance is hardly anything as you begin the pull of that movement in the beginning of the range of motion. And this is just because of the levers, right? There's a very short moment arm to the posterior deltoid when you first begin that motion. And it gets progressively harder as you get to the top of the motion when you're, when the bar is fully kind of closest to your stomach or whatever, um, when the muscles are shortening again, this is late phase loaded. There's the most resistance when the muscles are the shortest. There's nothing wrong with late phase loading and you can still see muscle growth, but late phase loaded exercises generally aren't as comfortable and they are at greater risk of strain since you're loading the muscles the most when they have the greatest disadvantage and missing out on the range of motion when they're strongest and have the greatest capacity to resist load, right? So there's almost nothing in the beginning of the range of motion when those muscles are really strong. And so you're kind of missing an opportunity to strengthen in that range of motion. And although there's nothing wrong with late phase loading, you can see why it would be a better use of your energy to choose early phase loaded exercises more often. You can also see why these early phase loaded exercises are more comfortable. They're more satisfying. They're less straining on surrounding structures, right? Because they match your anatomy a little bit better. And many people, like I said, don't know the anatomy of the, of the muscles. And again, you truly don't have to know the nuances of anatomy to feel this for yourself. You can kind of intuitively feel this again. If you're an Evel member, you don't have to worry about this. A lot of times we'll, we'll tell you when something is early or late phase loaded, but if you just want to feel it for yourself, you notice, you may notice that you have to use momentum at the end of the range of motion. If you're late phase loading, um, if you're feeling lots of strain in surrounding muscles, because the exercise feels too hard at the end, that's an indication that you're late phase loading. Um, if you feel like you have to like really kind of whip the weight up, you're probably late phase loading. And some of some examples of late phase loaded exercises that we don't often do, again, we might sprinkle some of these in, but we're definitely not spending the majority of our time on these. So some late phase loaded exercises are tricep kickbacks, hip thrusts, standing lateral or front raises and bent over rows or bent over flies. Okay. So <laughs> that's number two, which is um, it's when you're looking at selecting an exercise that's highest bang for your buck, you want to look at opposite position loading 
and resistance curves. So I know this stuff is technical. I hope you're hanging with me. I think that my audience tends to like the technical stuff. So hopefully you think this is interesting, but let's go over the last element to selecting an exercise that will be high bang for your buck. And that's focusing on one muscle group at a time when you can. There is so much dogma about which exercises are the best. And for the longest time, compound exercises were deemed the best. And again, you can see results with compound exercises and there's nothing necessarily wrong with them, but are they the most optimal use of our time and energy? And I would argue, no, of course I have my own perspective on this and people will disagree and that's fine, but I'm going to kind of tell you what my perspective on this is. So we're taught that compound exercises burn more calories. They, they work more muscles at once and they're more quote unquote functional. And yes, they may burn more calories, but burning calories doesn't actually significantly contribute to your daily caloric deficit, as I've talked about in many of my other episodes. So it's really not the best reason to choose an exercise just because it burns more calories. And then yes, they may work more muscle groups at once, but most compound exercises underload some tissues and overload other tissues. So this means that you're using energy toward exercises that aren't optimally loading your muscles and potentially straining others. So to maximize load to the tissues we are trying to change and minimize strain to surrounding tissues, I recommend keeping your exercises as simple and as targeted as possible. I would say it's not about the weight you're pushing, but the magnification to the muscle. It's not about like, how how can I push as much weight as possible? It's what is the stress to the muscle that I'm trying to change and cause adaptation to. That's all we care about, right? We don't really care so much about the number on the dumbbell. We care about the magnification to the muscle. So let's take an example that I've talked about a ton on this podcast and on Instagram. So a squat, and this exercise is considered gold standard for developing the glutes, but it's not one that you'll see very often in Evlo. I don't think we've really ever done heavy squats in Evlo. So a squat is doing two things really well. Two things that I talked about early in this episode. Number one, it opposite position loads the glutes. And number two, it early phase loads the glutes. So check and check already a squat is looking like a good use of your energy and time. But my issue with squats is that you have to load a lot of weight onto a bar in order to get enough load to the glutes. So this isn't bad, except that the lower back is also getting downward compression and load anytime you're loading the glutes with a bar on your back or holding weights. So loading your lower back is great, right? We want our lower back to be strong, but the paraspinal muscles, the lower back muscles have a very different capacity for tolerating resistance than the glutes do. The glutes are much more strong. The glutes are more powerful and they can move a lot more weight than the back muscles can. So in order to get enough load to the glutes, you're potentially overloading the low back. And if we decrease the load so that the back isn't strained, you may be underloading your glutes. So how can we apply enough load to the glutes so that the glutes change and grow, but limit the lower back strain? Well, you can use a multi-hit machine. If you're at a gym, Um, you can use a multi-hit machine. Look it up if you don't know what that means. Or you can do single leg work like what we do in Evlo, like step ups and lunge variations. And this is because... As soon as you go on one leg, you double the work to your glute. So this means you have to use less external load or hold less weight for the same amount of work to the glutes as a double leg variation, like a squat. So now you're getting 
the same amount of work to your glutes, but less stress on your spine. So again, this is just an example of how exercise selection is so important for ultimately changing our body with the least cost to our joints and to our system, to our energy. So although a step up could be considered a compound movement because there's multiple joints moving, it's not really one of those traditional exercises that you'd think of like an overhead press or a barbell bench or a row or a squat or a deadlift or et cetera. But the argument is that, oh, well, squat is more functional. And that's something that I hear a lot that we only should be doing functional movements. And it's something that I quite frankly disagree with because that implies that another exercise that improves the function, strength, and size of your muscles while limiting joint strain is not functional. I'd argue to say that a stronger body that feels better is extremely functional and you can separate your body parts into different pieces and be more functional as a whole. You don't necessarily have to be putting everything together and trying to mimic your everyday life movements with weight in order to be more functional. And anecdotally, I was much more (laughs) delicate when I was doing, you know, functional heavy movements. I had to be super careful every time I bent over. I had to get a lot of body work because when my body was, you know, more stressed from the heavy lifting, it didn't feel as functional. It felt like I had to be a lot more careful in my day-to-day life. And the irony is that I have more muscle now than I did then. And I feel significantly better. So again, it's not to say that you shouldn't squat if you love squatting or if that is working for you. And it's also not to say that squats are ineffective or you can't see growth and results. I think that if we look at almost any personal trainer, they, you will see that, you know, if they do squats, their legs grow. And I'm not, so I'm not necessarily saying that you shouldn't squat or that it doesn't, it isn't effective, but I would just argue that it's not necessary to see results, to have a healthy functional body and to build muscle. I just think there's, there, there are other ways that you can exercise that may mitigate the costs, um, to your joints and to your system. You also may notice, I'm kind of on my soapbox here. I apologize, but we're almost done. You also may notice that you feel significantly less quote unquote systemic fatigue after workouts that are more simple and more targeted towards one muscle group at a time. So you might notice like after you do a bunch of compound lifts, you feel overall a lot more systemic fatigue, um, or like overall fatigue, kind of like you got hit by a truck. Versus when you're doing more targeted movements where like, yes, you feel your muscles cooked and worked, but you don't feel that systemic fatigue. Like you got hit by a truck. So not only is this nice so that you can function well and be energetic for the rest of the day, but you also may recover faster. I discussed this in detail in episode number 67. I talk about why to focus on peripheral fatigue as opposed to central fatigue. And this is an important episode because it really debunks the idea that our workouts need to be overall hard and make you feel like you got hit by a truck in order to be effective. (laughs) So go listen to that. I think it's a really good one. Okay. So these three principles, as it relates to exercise selection, will make your workouts feel more comfortable and more satisfying and be higher bang for your buck. Once you choose a good exercise, so let's say you're like, okay, yeah, now I've got an exercise that opposite position loads the muscle, it early phase loads the muscle, and it is one that is more simple and targeted towards one muscle group at a time. So you've got that. You've got a good exercise. A couple of things that you need to apply once you have that exercise. Although the exercise may feel more comfortable overall in your joints, um, more satisfying, it should still really burn and be challenging for that selected muscle. If you aren't using enough resistance, or if you aren't flexing hard enough, 
And if you aren't really struggling by the end of like, I would say a 60 to 90 second set, you probably need to be adding more resistance or flexing harder the next time. Your muscles should be kind of screaming by the end of your set, right? Studies show that we don't have to get all the way to failure to induce muscle hypertrophy, but you have to get pretty close. So we want to make sure that almost every set you're really struggling by the end of that set, the muscles really feeling worked and tired. And then number two is that, um, you know, you have to have plenty of recovery built into your plan. And I always say this, but your muscles grow in the recovery when they're given enough anabolic stimulus or rest. They're broken down in your workouts. They're built up when you recover. So plan your weeks accordingly so that you're working each muscle, you know, one to two times per week on non-consecutive days. And then I like to build in two recovery days. Again, if you're an Evelyn member, you don't have to worry about any of this. All the guesswork is taken out for you. Um, all you have to do is show up to your workouts and then make sure that you're taking a couple of recovery days a week. So just to summarize, I know that was a lot. This episode is dense. You might need to listen to it again. You can get amazing results with shorter workouts that feel better, are better for your joint health, and are more enjoyable and satisfying if you focus on a few things. Number one, choosing exercises that opposite position load the muscles, right? You want the resistance coming from the right direction. And then number two, choosing exercises that are early or at least middle phase loaded. Examples are bicep curls, step-ups, skull crushers, chest presses, ball crunches. Once you create a workout that is filled with these types of exercises, you want to get close to failure in each set and then give your body, I would say at least 48 hours in before you work that muscle group again, in order for that muscle to recover so that you're actually seeing the results and not just spinning and chronic inflammation. So that is today's episode. I hope you enjoyed this again. We would love if you left a rating or review, make sure that you subscribe and we will see you all next week. Same time, same place. Bye for now.